This is Richard Pothig reading from On the Sidewalks of New York, Chapter 10, A Turn in the Road. I had been working for Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians for a year. My deferment from military service set me on another course. I knew that my life within the entertainment industry, as alluring as it was, was not for me. I needed to explore the wider world, so I decided to continue my education. In February 1944, I enrolled for evening courses at the College of the City of New York, CCNY as it was called. I had the required high school grade average to matriculate without the costs of tuition. I could also continue my work. My father, who was never quarrelsome, argued with my mother about my plans for college. He felt going to college would take away any support I could give the family. My mother, on the other hand, wanted me to be able to put money away for my education. It was obvious that I had caused tension in the family. Two philosophies of life were in struggle. My father's hard work ethic, which saw my responsibility to help meet the immediate expenses of the family, and my mother's long view, which saw the need for me to prepare myself for the future. Both of my parents had been raised in a working-class environment. My mother, however, had had aspirations for herself and her future. She had finished high school. Her cousins, the Railings, who were the main influence in her life, were role models. Their father had owned two brownstone tenements on East 79th Street. Her cousins had skills and good jobs. Lise Railing, her favorite cousin, had moved into a position of responsibility at Federal Telegraph. My mother had the same drive, but her past had caught up with her. Her illness dogged her footsteps. When she saw my ambition, which was a reflection of her own, she held out hope for me. She wanted me to do what she had not been able to do. My father had also been raised in a working-class family. My grandfather had been dedicated to his working-class roots and had developed a political philosophy to support those roots. My father had none of the ideology of his father. He did have the pragmatic understanding of the role of men in the working class. He saw his responsibility to meet all the family's needs. His life was to be the provider, and he expected the same from me. Choosing a career in the middle-class sense of the word was not a priority for him. Education beyond high school cost too much, and it put off the possibility of getting a paying job now. I was resolute. I decided to begin night college in the winter of 1944. After work, I made the trip from Broadway and 53rd to City College on Broadway and 137th Street for several weeks. My first trip to City College began auspiciously. I took the Interborough Rapid Transit, the IRT, up the west side from 53rd and Broadway and made a train change at 96th Street. I was a neophyte on the West Side IRT. All my life I had traveled on the East Side IRT with 86th Street as my hub station. I got off the train at 135th, where I expected the College of the City of New York, CCNY, to be located. I walked up the train station stairs and out onto the street. I was in the middle of Harlem. It was night, and I knew that CCNY was not in the vicinity. It was further west of Harlem. Most New Yorkers live with a built-in caution of not getting caught in Harlem at night. 
A black working man had come up the steps from the train with me. He knew I was confused. I asked him the direction to CCNY. He pointed off in the distance. It was up a hill and across a park. There was still an accumulation of snow on the ground, and some teenagers were in the park playing in the snow. I don't think it's safe for you to be walking across the park, he told me. Come on, I'll walk across with you. It will be safer. He took the time to walk me across the park and then pointed in the direction of CCNY. This was my initial college experience. The venture at CCNY did not last long. Long days, quick and sometimes non-suppers, the late night return by subway, the limited time to read and to do assignments, the fatigue began to show. In my first week at CCNY, someone broke into my locker and took all my gym clothes. In my third week, I was so fatigued that I burned my fingers on a Bunsen burner during a chemistry lab. Within the month, I decided getting an education at night was not in my constitution. I always marveled at the heroic stories of people who have worked at day jobs or even night jobs and have even been able to squeeze out a college education. Some have taken as long as six to ten years to get through. They graduate and go on to become top-notch lawyers or engineers or business people. For me, day, work, and night college was not a winning combination. I had to find some other way. After the disappointment of not being able to meet the pressures of night college, my spirit became even more restless. I decided to find an opening, some way to continue my education, to grow as a person. I was regular in my participation at worship and in the young adult activities at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. With so many young men called up for military service, more responsibility fell to me in the senior high young adult program. One evening in the spring of 1944, a major gathering of young people from the Presbyterian congregations in New York City was held at a downtown Presbyterian church. It was a lively meeting with more than the usual sharing between the young people from the different congregations. At the end of the meeting, a number of us were standing on the sidewalk outside the church house. We were in a lively conversation. As I stood in the group, a strange sensation came over me. I had never felt it before, nor have I had a similar experience since. I felt lighthearted, a tremendous surge of well-being. I had the sense of being lifted out of myself. I looked back into the church hall. The door was ajar. The light within the hall had a powerful golden glow around figures and animated conversation. I never dwelt on that experience, except that it was unique for me, but my thoughts became clearer about myself and who I was. I had been part of the church for a long time. I had come through MAPC's Goodwill Sunday School beginning there at age five. I had made the transition from East 80th Street to Madison Avenue and 73rd Street, which was a crossing over of a major gulf in class and social attitudes. Other young people from the east side who had gone directly to Madison Avenue had adapted themselves to the pervasive middle-class ethos of the congregation. The Goodwill Sunday School still carried with it the other side of the L-Track stigma. 
For many goodwill youngsters, the mile walk to Madison Avenue was a long journey. Not many made the walk, and some soon dropped out. I weathered the initial freeze with the MAPC young people put on on Outsiders. The drafting of many young men into the armed forces ultimately helped in my integration into the life of the church. Men in the young adult group tended to be those deferred from military service because of their jobs, mostly in engineering, or for some physical disability. I saw the need for leadership within the young adult group and took a role in the program development. During the war years, a highly spirited group of young adults developed at Madison Avenue with emphasis on discussion and social programs. On several occasions, I got tickets for the group to attend the Fred Waring and his Pennsylvanians Hour, the WOR radio show. The nucleus of this group went on to become the 20 to 30 Club, a program which in the post-war years attracted many young professionals arriving in New York to work and to live. As I took on more responsibility at MAPC, I recognized the central role the church had played in my life. As I was grappling with my future in the spring of 1944, I began thinking about the ministry of the church. This became a persistent inner discussion for me during the summer. By the fall of 1944, I told my mother that I had decided to enter the ministry of the church. I also told her that this would probably mean that I would have to leave New York. The only way I could pursue the ministry would be to enroll in college full-time. She knew my attempt to work and attend evening college had failed. But how, how would you pay for college? You know, we can't help. I'll work at whatever job I can get on campus. I've already put away enough to get me started, I told her. I went to talk to Philip Jones, the associate minister at Madison Avenue, responsible for the Christian education program. I told him that I was seriously considering entering the ministry. Phil Jones was visibly pleased. We had been waiting for you, was his response. His statement added further confirmation to my decision. We talked about colleges. He gave me a list of Presbyterian colleges. We talked about finances. I told him I had saved a small amount to begin, and I was willing to take on whatever jobs were available to help with expenses. He told me the church could provide only minor help, but that they would recommend me highly to any college to which I applied. I looked over the list of Presbyterian colleges. They were all new names to me. The College of Ozarks in Arkansas is a good school, and it is inexpensive, he told me. Since I did not know one college from another, I made no comment. I told him I would look over the list and make inquiries about some of the colleges. On Sunday after worship, I looked for Fred Hanselak. Fred was one of the brightest people I knew in the young adult group. He had graduated from Columbia University at a young age. He had been a member of Madison Avenue from his youth. He also had the reputation of having scored the highest average at Stuyvesant High School. That put him in a class all by himself. I showed Fred the list of Presbyterian colleges. I mentioned that Phil Jones had suggested College of Ozark. Fred scanned the list quickly and said, Worcester is a good school. It is the best one on the list. You want a good education, even if it is more expensive. I went back to see Phil Jones. I told him I had decided to go to the College of Worcester. You know, that is one of the most expensive Presbyterian colleges, he told me. I know, but it's the best, I said. I expect to apply for work that will cover my room and board. 
It's a good decision, he told me. There's a small Presbyterian scholarship you can apply for. It's not much, but it will help. The die was cast. I sent for a Worcester application in the late fall. I completed it immediately and returned it. Within a month, I had my reply. Worcester had decided to accept me for the winter semester. I told my mother that I would be going to a Presbyterian college in Ohio. Ohio seemed like a world away to her. She accepted my decision with mixed emotions. She was pleased to think that I would be studying to be a minister, but she was worried about my father. She had been back in the hospital again. They had collapsed one of her lungs. She continued to smoke. Her health was on the edge. My father had taken on a second job. It would be difficult for him to have me leave now. I knew the situation. This was the one time in my life I had the greatest tension with my father. We had never argued. Many times it was my father who, who stood between my mother and me. She handed out the discipline in the family. In her frustration, she would take the strap to me. I knew what my father thought I should do. He had worked hard and used his money with great care to keep the family housed, clothed, and fed. He never spent money foolishly. At this time in his struggle, he needed help. It was an agony for me. The Christmas of 1944 was a tough one. I had my acceptance to Worcester. I was to be there in late January. My whole life was coming down to a major decision. I knew what was expected, but I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that night college was not a choice. I might give up and never get through. If I was to complete what I had decided to do, I would have to make the break. If I did not, I saw the possibility of never getting out of New York, of being caught in a dead end. I saw myself living my father's life. Later in life, I came upon a moving assessment of the crisis I had faced in December of 1944. Oscar Hanlon, an insightful writer on the immigrant experience, tells in a powerful paragraph the searing struggle of a person standing at a turn in the road. The person stands at a crossroads. At his back is all he has known, his family, his friends, his place of origin and nurture. He faces a decision which will cut him off from those who have given him life. He knows full well the implications of the decision, but he takes the turn in the road which leads away from the past and from family and friends. Mm -hmm.